Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 24, and uh, tonight is a very special night because we are finishing up this uh, sermon series that we've been in. If you are, if you've been with us, you know that we've been in a Bible study in the Gospel of Luke. We've called it Journey with Jesus, uh, but it's really just been a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we've been in this journey with Jesus for quite some time. In fact, we began this series in, on uh, Sunday, November 21st of 2021. And, uh, of course, we took a lot of breaks in between. And uh, we started it in November in Luke's chapters 1 and 2, of course, dealing with the Christmas story in 2021. 2022, we called it the year of Jesus. And we spent uh, most of the year studying the life of Christ together and like I said, we've taken breaks here and there, and at times I've preached through Luke on Sunday mornings, sometimes I've preached through Luke on Wednesday nights, sometimes we've done Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, so it's just kind of been uh, a different thing, but uh, we're finishing tonight. Of course, we in January, we took a break from the Gospel of Luke, and we, I preached on different things from January to the, the beginning of January to the end of March, and we picked it back up right around the Easter season. Uh, so some of you are like, I didn't notice, and that's, you know, concerning to me, but that's fine. That's uh, fine. It doesn't matter if you know what I'm doing as long as the Word of God is being preached and you're being ministered to. Uh, some of you still don't know that I preach through books of the Bible, but that's all right. Um, tonight is the final sermon in this uh, book. It's actually the 95th sermon in this book. And uh, we spent, we've had 95 sermons through the Gospel of Luke. And before you judge me harshly, just realize that it's 24 chapters. Every chapter has like anywhere between 50 and 80 verses. Um, and it's the longest, cha- the longest book in, in the New Testament, not by chapters, but by word count. Um, it's the longest book in the, in the entire Bible. So we spend a lot of time, and I think it's fine to spend time studying the life of Christ, of course. But um, we'll be finishing up this study tonight. Tonight we're going to look at this idea of the ascension of Christ, the ascension of Christ. And like you notice there in verse number 50, Luke 24 and verse 50, in verses 50, 51, 52, and 53, we have the ascension of Christ. I'm not going to necessarily preach through those verses tonight. We're going to look at a lot of different passages, but I want you to just notice the ascension. The Bible says, and he, the Bible says, led them. And of course, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He led them as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God and blessing, praising and blessing God. Amen. Let me just begin just by way of introduction and, and say this. If you're not sure what we mean by the ascension of Christ, what we're talking about is right there at the end of verse 51, when it says that he was carried up into heaven. The ascension of Christ is the event in which the Lord Jesus Christ left this earth and ascended back into heaven. It's spoken a lot of, uh, uh, the, the Bible speaks a lot about the ascension of Christ. We're going to see that tonight. But I would say that it is probably the event that is least spoken of in the life of Christ. It's the event that we uh, kind of study the least and talk the least about the ascension of Christ, but it's very interesting, and I want to 
just give you some thoughts here and just real quickly, like I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time in these specific verses. But let me just real quickly outline these few verses for you here, Luke 24, 50, 51, 52, and 53. I want you to notice when we look at the story of the ascension, if you want to outline it or if you want to maybe mark in your Bible, um, in verse 50 there, we see kind of the first step, and it is that he led them. He led them out as far as to uh, Bethany. And Jesus at this time is really in every way, shape, or form their leader. And he's been their leader this entire time. And here the Bible tells us that he led them. And of course, I was actually just recently talking with my wife about this. It's interesting to me that Jesus is probably, I mean, not probably, he is for sure the greatest leader who ever lived. And, uh, but you'll notice that Jesus never really speaks too much of himself as, as a leader. In fact, what he said over and over and over again to the disciples was, follow me, follow me. And his emphasis in leadership style, for those of you that are interested, was not on emphasizing his position as a leader, but emphasizing their positions as followers. We don't see him saying, I'm the leader a lot, but we see him saying, follow me. Obviously, if somebody's following you, then that makes you the leader. And that's just a thought for you husbands who feel that you constantly need to tell your wife that you're in charge. Uh, if you're having to always tell somebody you're the boss, maybe you're not the boss. But um, here the Bible tells us that he led them out as far as to Bethany. And if you want to outline this passage, here's another point. He lifted up his hands. He lifted up his hands. So we see that he led them, and then we see that he lifted up his hands. He lifted up his hands, the Bible tells us, and blessed them. And I just want you to notice, and I, and I want you to see that when the Bible says he lifted up his hands, it's literally referring to the fact that he lifted up his hands as he spoke to them, and he began to bless them. He began to pronounce a blessing upon them. What he said, we don't know for sure exactly what he said to them and what type of blessing he bestowed upon them, but we know that he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And I just want to bring out this thought in regards to this, that their last memory of Jesus would be this. Because in verse 51, we're told, and it came to pass while he blessed them. So as he was doing this, as he lifted up his hands and began to bless them, while he blessed them, number three, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So in verse 50, we see that he led them. In verse 50, we also see that he lifted up his hands to bless them. And in verse 51, we see that he left them. He led them and he lifted up his hands and then he left them. But when he left, he left with his hands lifted. I, I want you to notice that because nothing in the Bible is in there for no reason. If the Bible says that he lifted up his hands and blessed them and it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. As he lifted up his hands and pronounced a blessing upon them, the Bible says that he began to ascend up to heaven and he was carried up into heaven. And I just think it's interesting to know that the last memory that they would visually have of Jesus, the last thing that they physically saw him do was to lift up his hands and to pronounce a blessing on them. And that just shows you the grace and the mercy of Christ because you would, you would have thought, and before the resurrection, they would have thought that maybe the last memory that they had of Christ was of his hands stretched out on a cross. But instead of the last memory of Mary, his mother, or the followers of Christ, instead of their last memory being of his arms and his hands stretched out on a cross, it was instead his hands lifted up in a blessing. And I just think that's a beautiful thought to consider that he was carried up 
into heaven as he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Verse 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of the ascension. We see it here in Luke 24. We're going to come back to Luke 24, but we're going to look at other passages as well. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to just give you three words that will serve as points or as pointers, as markers, to help us transition through this idea of the ascension and help you understand what the ascension is. I'll give you the words in advance so you can jot them down if you'd like, and that way you can tell as we mark our way through this idea of the doctrine of the ascension. The first word is transition. Transition, and if you're taking notes, you might want to jot that down. The second word is ascension. And then the third word is commission. Transition, ascension, commission. In fact, let me flip that around. Transition, commission, ascension. I'll give it to you in that order. Let me begin by explaining the transition. Obviously, at the resurrection of Christ, there was a transition between how Christ met with and talked with and dealt with his disciples before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, and after. And what I want you to understand, and you may all, I'm sure you already know this, this is a smart crowd that we've got around here, but some of you maybe don't know this, so I want you to understand. The appearances of Christ after the resurrection were sporadic. Before the crucifixion, Jesus was with them every day. Jesus lived with them, they were together every day, they spent three years, three and a half years, however long his ministry was, together in a physical way. But after the resurrection, he appeared to them, but those appearances of the risen Christ were sporadic, meaning they were not consistent. They were here and there. They saw him for a little while, and then they would not see him again. You're there in Luke 24. Uh, Go up to verse number 33, Luke 24 and verse 33, just to give you an example. We've already seen the story But I want you to notice the example in verse 33. The Bible says, and they, and if you remember from Sunday, the they there is referring to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. Verse 34, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. I just want you to notice that Jesus, of course, we saw that story of the road to Emmaus, and he appeared to the disciples on the road and then vanished before their sight. They went back to Jerusalem, but by the time they got there, they were already being told of another appearance of Christ where he had appeared to Simon, and they're telling him that Simon has seen him, verse 35, and they told what things were done in the way and how he, Jesus, was known of them. So these appearances of Christ They are sporadic, and I won't take the time to go through all the different stories, but even the story we saw on Sunday where Jesus appeared in the upper room, the Bible tells us in another gospel that Thomas, doubting Thomas, was not there, and then, of course, he said that he would not believe unless he saw it and unless he touched Jesus with his own hands, and the Bible tells us that eight days later, he appeared unto them again, but this time Thomas being with them, and I only point that out to say this. That when Jesus rose from the dead, it was not this thing where it was like, okay, guys, I'm back now. Let's keep traveling or let's keep going. He appeared to them, but the appearances of the risen Christ were sporadic. They were 
not consistent. They weren't with him every day. They saw him here. They saw him there as he appeared to them, as he came to them. The second thing that I want you to understand regarding this transition is that not only were the appearances sporadic, but the appearances were only to believers. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 if you were, would. You're there in Luke. If you go past John, Acts, Romans into 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul gives us a list of those who had seen the crucified Christ. And here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 5. The Bible says, and that he was seen of Cephas. Now, we just saw in Luke how the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they, they came back and the eleven told them that Jesus had appeared to Simon, that he had appeared to Cephas, that he appeared to Peter. Here we see it again, that he was seen of Cephas. Of course, this was referring to Simon Peter. Then of the 12, verse 6, after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. So here we're told that there is an appearance of Christ where there are 500, but notice the word there, brethren. That's believers, that's Christians. 500 believers, brethren, are gathered together, and Jesus appeared to them at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, Paul is telling us. At the time of this writing, he's saying most of those 500 people are still uh, alive, he says, but some are fallen asleep. And that's Paul telling the writers that you can check me on this. I'm not making this story up. There was 500 brethren that saw him at once. Verse 7, after that he was seen of James, that's, of course, the half-brother of Christ. Then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me, Paul says. Also, as of one born out of due time. So I want you to notice that there's this transitional period after the resurrection that leads us to the ascension. During that period, there are appearances of Christ, but those appearances are sporadic, and those appearances are only to uh, believers. Go to the book of Acts real quickly, Acts chapter 1. If you go backwards from 1 Corinthians, you've got the book of Romans, and then the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 1. And you, you should understand that because of the fact that Jesus did not rise from the grave and then go and appear to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and, the, and, and the high priests and the Levites and, and, and the religious leaders. He didn't go and appear to them and say, you know, here I am, I told you. You know, he didn't go and appear to Pilate. He didn't go and appear to unbelievers because of the fact that the Bible says that, that we must believe without seeing. Amen. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So he appeared to people that had already placed their trust, that had already believed on him. And he was seen, I mean, of 500 brethren at once, of the 12, and of Cephas, and of all the apostles. All the apostles, not just referring to the 12, it's referring to the 70 that are referred to as, as apostles. Paul says, and last of all, he was seen of me as one born of due time. And of course, that was an appearance after the ascension when he appeared to Paul or, or Saul uh, on the road to Damascus. But what I want you to understand is that Jesus appeared sporadically and he appeared to believers. And this happened uh, over a period of 40 days. Acts chapter 1, if you're there, look at verse 1. Acts 1, 1. Of course, Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 is an introduction to the book of Acts. For those of you that are not aware, I just want you to understand the Gospel of Luke was obviously written by a man named Luke. The book of Acts was written by the same writer. It was written by Luke. And in verse 1 of Acts 1, he says, 
the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. The word treaties there is a reference to a formal or systematic exposition. And what he's referring to is the Gospel of Luke. He's saying the former treaties, referring to the Gospel of Luke, the book that we've been studying, he says, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Look at verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up. Notice that that is a reference to the ascension. Until the day that he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them. I just want you to notice this, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus, after the resurrection, was on this earth, for 40 days. He was not with them every day of those 40 days. His, uh, his, his appearances were sporadic. They were only to believers, but they lasted for a period of 40 days. And of course, the number 40 is a number that comes up a lot in the Bible. There is some value to the number 40. Of course, Jesus uh, was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights as he fasted. So was Moses. So was Elijah. Uh, the, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The, the number 40 comes up a lot, but God chose for Jesus to be on this earth for 40 days uh, in his glorified body and to appear to certain believers at certain times sporadically. This was a transitional period. And I, I want you to get that because the ascension just kind of ends that transition. And the ascension is important because of the fact that if, if Jesus would have just kind of appeared here, appeared there, and just kind of appeared a few times, and, and it just kind of trickled down, there really would not have been a finality to it. There wouldn't have been an end to it. The, the beautiful thing about the ascension, where he gathered the disciples together, and he ascended up to heaven, he went back to heaven, uh, and they visually, physically saw that, is that it brought an end, a definitive end to that transitional period in which he was walking on the earth after the resurrection for 40 days. Just another thing for you to kind of, and I realize tonight it's maybe more of a Bible study, but it's Wednesday night, so I think that's what we're supposed to be doing. But um, just so you can kind of put these, uh, this, this sequence into, in, into thoughts, if you remember, the day of Pentecost was a celebration that happened 50 days after the Passover. So 50 days, it's called Pentecost, the word penta meaning five or 50 in this case, of course, like a pentagon, right? Um, so 50 days after the Passover was the day of Pentecost, and Jesus was with them after Passover. Obviously, he died, Passover resurrected. He was with them for 40 days, so he left them really just right before the day of Pentecost, which is what we'll see when he sends them back to Jerusalem to prepare for that day. So we have the transition, and I hope you understand that period of time, those 40 days. The appearances of the risen Christ were sporadic. The appearances of the risen Christ were only to believers. And that time frame lasted for uh, 40 days. That's the transition. Number two, uh, the second word that I want to highlight for you, and I'd like you to go to Romans, if you would, Romans chapter number eight. You're there in the book of Acts. If you just flip over to Romans and do me a favor, if, if you haven't flipped already, keep your place in Acts, because we're going to leave it, and we're going to come back to it throughout the sermon, and I'd like you to be able to get to it quickly. Romans chapter number 8, 
Obviously, we already saw in Luke that Jesus ascended up to heaven. And the question is, where is Jesus now? And what is Jesus doing? And why did Jesus go, right? Why, why even have the ascension? And let me just answer that for you from the Word of God here. Uh, let's begin with this question, where is Jesus? In Romans 8 and verse 34, the Bible says this, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Notice this little phrase, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So the Bible very clearly and very consistently tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of God. He has taken his place in the throne room of God, sitting at the right hand of God. Uh, and we, we would call that he's God's right hand man, right? He's... Uh, in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Go to First Timothy, if you would. First Timothy, chapter number three. Uh, if you can find all the T books, they're all clustered together. First, Second Thessalonians, First, Second Timothy, Titus. First Timothy, chapter three, and look at verse number sixteen. I just want to show you. I'm not going to show you all the verses on the ascension because there, there's too many, and I don't, we don't have the time to do it tonight. But I'd like to give you a lot of verses so that you can see how much this is spoken of throughout the Bible. First Timothy three sixteen. 1 Timothy 3.16 is a verse that we often go to to prove certain things, usually the deity of Christ. But I want you to notice that there's something else in here that proves and talks about the ascension as well. 1 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Of course, we usually use this verse to show that, the fact that God was manifest in the flesh, and that speaks to the uh, incarnation, the fact that God became flesh. But then the Bible says, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. And I just want you to notice this little phrase, received up into glory. And this is, again, a reference to the ascension. He was received up into glory. He uh, ascended into heaven. He is now sitting at the right hand of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. If you're there in 1 Timothy, you can go past 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 1. And I'd like you to keep your place in Hebrews as well. If you can, keep your place in Acts and then keep your place in Hebrews. We're going to be going back and forth to those books for a little bit. Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And this is, of course, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ and upholding all things by the word of his power. And I just want you to notice that the Bible is telling us here that this is Jesus. I don't, you can read the, the two verses before that if you don't believe that or you don't trust me, but it's a reference to Jesus, and it tells us that he is upholding all things by the word of his power. And, of course, we know that he is the creator, but he is also the sustainer. He is the creator of the universe, and he sustains the universe. He is upholding all things by the word of his power when he had himself purged our sins, that's a reference to the cross. Notice, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So the Bible consistently talks about the ascension, the fact that he is sitting on the right hand of the Father when he had by himself purged our sins. And I love this little Hebrews 1.3. You know, the Bible is so deep. And sometimes 
we tend to only focus on one thing in a verse and we kind of use this proof text mentality. And I don't have a problem with us having proof text. We need proof text. But realize that there's so much in the Bible. For example, here, obviously I'm showing to you the fact that he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. But this is a great thought when he had by himself purged our sins. And, you know, the Bible tells us that he did it by himself. This idea that, uh, well, I got to help him. You know, he did some of it, but I got to do my part. Isn't that what people tell us out door knocking? Well, I got to do my part. Well, no, no, no. He had by himself purged our sins. He did it in his person, but he also did it by himself. And he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. Hebrews 10, 12. The Bible says, but this man... Of course, referring to Jesus, Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So the Bible is consistent about this idea that Jesus, if you want to know where is Jesus, he is sitting at the right right hand of the Father. He is ascended into heavenly places. He has taken his place by God uh, the Father. But then let's answer this question. Why did he go? Why would Jesus go? What's the purpose for that, and what's the point of that? And, and we could look at a lot of passages tonight. I'm not going to do that, but let me just show you a couple of things. Go, go to John chapter 16. If you kept your place in Acts, right before Acts, you have the book of John. John chapter 16, and look at verse number 7. John chapter 16 and verse 7. And like I said, we, there's, there's a lot more verses than just this one, but I'm just going to show you this one. John 16, 7, the Bible says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, I have to go away. That is a reference to the ascension. He says, For if I go not away, the comforter. And the comforter is a reference to the Holy Spirit. You can study that word out later if you'd like, and you'll see that the comforter is the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. So what we need to understand is that the reason that Jesus left was so that he could give us the Holy Spirit. Because he had to go in order for the Holy Spirit to to come. And, of course, Jesus was with them, but Jesus is a man. He was 100% God, and he's 100% man. But we know that he was physically in a body. And in his physical body, he was unable. He spent three years with the disciples, literally physically with them but now he has to ascend so that he can send the holy spirit of god so that the holy spirit can be indwelling every believer and see he left us physically so that we could be indwelled and every believer could experience and have the presence of the holy spirit and have the presence of god uh, with them so why did he go he left to give us the holy spirit But he also left so that he can give us spiritual gifts. Uh, Go to Ephesians real quickly. Ephesians chapter 4. You're there in John. Just go past the book of Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And look at verse 7. Ephesians 4 and verse 7, the Bible says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And I want you to notice that. Unto every one of us is given grace 
according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We have been given gifts by Christ. And according to that measure, we've been given a certain amount of grace given to us for those gifts. Look at verse 8. Wherefore he saith. Notice it again. I just want you to see it because I think that you might have read the Bible a lot before and read all these verses and not realize that the ascension is being spoken of and being brought up a lot throughout the Bible. In verse 8, we're told, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high. This is a reference to the ascension. This is actually where we get the term ascension. When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And I don't have time to get into that, that term, and I've preached on that before. But let me just quickly explain that verse. If you study that verse, when it's brought up, not brought up a lot throughout the Bible, when it's brought up a couple of times, the idea is to lead captivity captive is to turn the tables around, to, uh, for you to be captive, and then the tables have been turned, and now you're leading captive what was uh, leading you captive. And when the Bible says here that he led captivity captive, the idea is that he was being held by death and now resurrected. He has the keys of hell and death. He is now leading the captivity that once led him. He led captivity captive. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 8, and gave gifts unto men. Notice verse 9. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? And again, I'm not preaching on this. I'm just reading it for you. But here's another verse about, about the fact that Jesus went to hell. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first? Before he ascended, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And the lower parts of the earth is not a reference to a cave, a sepulcher that was hewn out of a stone in Jerusalem, all right? The lower parts of the earth, the nether parts of the earth, these are all terms used for hell throughout the Bible. Verse 10, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So I want you to notice the ascension is spoken of a lot, but here we're told that he gave gifts unto men. So we know that he left so that he could give us the Holy Spirit, and then he also gives us spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to get into this and spend a lot of time on it. We've studied it before. Uh, I did a whole series on the Holy Spirit, I don't know, a couple of years ago. But the Bible talks about the fact that there are spiritual gifts that we have been given. And every single saved individual has a spiritual gift. We don't all have the same gift, but we have different gifts, and those are given to you by the Holy Spirit, and they are meant to be used in the ministry and in the work of God. Did you know that God wants you involved in ministry? God wants you involved in the work of God, and He's equipped you and given you certain gifts and abilities, and those are given through the Holy Spirit, they are, that we are given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ, that He would give gifts unto men so if you want to know why did he go well he left so that he could send the comforter and when he sent the comforter which is the holy spirit along with the holy spirit he gave us spiritual gifts go back to john chapter 14 if you would go back to john if you kept your place in acts right after right before acts you have the book of john john chapter 14 let's talk about what is he doing In reference to the ascension, we're answering some questions. Number one, where is Jesus? We've already stated he is at the right hand of the Father. We're asking the question, why did he go? He went to, so that he could give us the Holy Spirit. 
and so that he could give us spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. And then we got to ask the question, what is he doing? What is it that Jesus is doing? I want you to notice here in John 14 and verse 1, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. This is, of course, referring to heaven. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. If you're wondering what is it that Jesus is doing in heaven, he's obviously sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's obviously sustaining the universe through his power. But there's actually some things that he has accomplished and he is doing. And what he is doing is, number one, he is preparing a place. The Bible says that he goes to prepare a place for you, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So he is in heaven preparing a place for you. What that means exactly, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure what that means. Obviously, God, Jesus is God. He can speak whatever into existence. But the Bible tells us that he's in heaven preparing a place for you. And what I like, I, I like to think that he, you know, he's preparing certain things for you and for me and certain things that he wants us to have and certain uh, uh, rewards that we might get in heaven. So here's what we know. We don't know exactly what it all entails, but we know that heaven is going to be more wonderful than anything that you can imagine. Heaven is going to be greater than anything you've ever seen. And here's what I know. If you ask the question, what is Jesus doing right now? He is preparing a place. He's preparing a place. But that is not the only thing he is doing. Not only is Jesus preparing a place, but I want you to notice, go to Romans. You're there in Acts, or if you're in John, go past the book of Acts into the book of Romans. He's preparing a place, and then I want you to also understand that he is pleading your case. In Romans 8.34, the Bible says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God. Notice this phrase, who also maketh intercession for us. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father because he is making intercession for us. He is preparing a place and he is pleading your case. He's preparing a place and he's making intercession on your behalf. Go back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Hebrews 9, 24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Notice, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The Bible tells us that Jesus is in heaven and he is pleading our case. He is our mediator. He is our advocate. He is our attorney, if you will. Go to 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter number 2. You're there in Hebrews. You go past James into 1 and 2 Peter and then 1 John. 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin... Notice what the Bible says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of 
the whole world. So if you want to know what it is that Jesus is doing, he's not in heaven just simply relaxing or just waiting until it's time for him to come back. He is up there working. He's preparing a place. He's pleading our case. He's our advocate. He is our intercessor. He is making intercession uh, for us. He is helping us. In other passages, I won't take the time to go there. In fact, please go, to, go back to Acts, Acts chapter 1. In other passages, we are told that he is our succorer. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that we have not an high priest which uh, is not touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He understands us, and as a result, he is helping us. He is ministering to us. He is leading us and guiding us. He's praying for us. Look, the Bible tells us that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The Bible tells us that the devil is going to and fro on this earth, but we also know from the book of Job that he goes up to heaven and he accuses the brethren. And look, when you and I sin, and this is what John is telling us. He, he, I, I'm not telling you this to excuse your sin. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. It'd be better if you don't sin. But here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me, that we're sinners. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And you know, the devil is up there, and he's accusing the brethren. And every time you mess up, and every time I mess up, we may be giving the devil an opportunity to go up to heaven and throw it in God's face and say, look what they're doing. Look what they did last night. Look where they went. Look what they, they, they got themselves into. And he's accusing the brethren. But I'm here to tell you something, that we have an advocate with the Father up in heaven pleading our case. And every time the accuser of the brethren shows up and wants to accuse you, that advocate... The Lord Jesus Christ shows up as your representative, as your attorney. And when the devil says, look at that sin, Jesus shows up and says, it's been paid. It's clear. It's gone. We have an advocate with the Father. He is interceding on our behalf. He is praying on our behalf. He is uh, helping us. So he's up there preparing a place and pleading our case until the day that he returns. Go to Acts chapter number 1. Let me give you the third word tonight. The first word is transition. We know that there was a transitional period between the resurrection and the ascension. It lasted 40 days. The appearances of the risen Christ were sporadic and they were only to believers. Then there was an ascension. There was a finalizing of Jesus' ministry upon this earth. He ascended up to heaven and he went to the right hand of the Father he left so that he could give us the Holy Spirit and so that he could give us spiritual gifts through the giving of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to know what he's doing in heaven, he is preparing a place and he's pleading our case. Then the third word is this, and it is commission. Commission. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, we see another passage in Scripture where we see the ascension of Christ. But... Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is not known for the ascension of Christ. It is known for the commission or the great commission. And that's fine because the ascension and the commission are connected in the sense that right before Jesus left, we know that he lifted up his hands and blessed them as he departed out of their sight. But right before he left, he left them with a commission. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The Bible says, but ye shall receive power. This is Jesus speaking. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses 
Notice how it's not an option. If you want, if you can roll out of bed on a Saturday morning, that's not what it says. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, notice the ascension, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Even of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. I want to highlight that for you because that's important. The angels told the disciples, the way that he left is how he will come back. They said, this same Jesus, which was taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner. That's why the Bible says in Revelation, the Bible says that he's going to come in the clouds. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. So don't let some clown on YouTube tell you, you know, I'm Jesus, or I saw Jesus, or I met Jesus, because the Bible says that he's going the, the way that he left. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, so uh, shall so come in like manner. He left in the clouds, he's coming in the clouds. He ascended in the clouds, and he is descending in the clouds. But from here till then, he left us a commission. Now, it's interesting to me, because the same commission we see here in Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. It's the same thing that is highlighted at the end of Luke right before the ascension of Christ. So in Acts 1.8, we have the Great Commission, and then Acts 1.9, we have the ascension. If you go back to Luke, keep your finger there in Acts. We're going to flip back and forth. Go back to Luke 24. In Luke 24, in verses 47 and 48 and 49, you have the commission. And in verses 50, 51, 52, and 53, you have the ascension. Let me just point out the similarities for you. Look at verse 45 just to get the context. Luke 24, 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. I want you to notice, first of all, there's a plan. Look at it. In verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You say, what is the plan? What is the plan that we're supposed to be executing? That repentance... Notice it doesn't say repentance of your sins. Repent simply means to turn from. And when it comes to salvation, we turn from unbelief to belief or the wrong belief to the right belief. That repentance and remission. What does the word remission mean? It means the cancellation of a debt. It means that something has been canceled. You used to owe. Now you don't owe. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, notice how that's similar to Acts 1.8. Look at Acts 1.8 real quickly. But ye shall receive power 
after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Notice what he says. Both in Jerusalem, Luke 24, 47, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Acts 1, 8, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You say, what is the plan? The plan is that repentance and remission of sins should be preached starting at Jerusalem and then going out into Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That is the plan. Amen. He left and he said, look, I can only be with, with a few of you. I can be with 12 of you. I can be with 500 of you maybe at one time. But what we need to do is we need to reach the world. He says the plan is to start right here in Jerusalem and then go out to Judea and go out to Samaria and go out to the uttermost part of the earth. He says among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And for that reason, he said, I've got to ascend that I might send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will indwell you so that you can go into the world. That's the plan. He said, that sounds like a nice plan. Well, who's supposed to do it? Well, notice what Jesus says. In Luke 24, 48. In verse 47, we have the plan. In verse 48, we have the personnel. Luke 24, 48. And ye are witnesses of these things. He says, here's the plan and you're going to do it. He says, here's the plan and here's what I want you to do. And ye are witnesses of these things. Notice how this matches Acts 1.8. Look at it again. Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost will come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now he's told them, hey, you have seen the resurrected Christ. You saw me die and you see me alive. You are witnesses of these things. I want you to go out into Jerusalem. I want you to go out into Samaria, into Judah, and into the uttermost parts of the earth with this message. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll notice that that's exactly what they did. They went out into the city of Jerusalem and they said, we have seen the risen Savior. We have seen Jesus. He is Lord. He is Christ. He is the Son of God. And they preached Jesus unto their community. They were witnesses. But let me tell you something. This is not just for them. He says, ye are witnesses, and he's speaking to all Christians. You say, I wasn't there when Jesus died. I wasn't there to see him rise. But you know what? I was there when he saved my soul. And I may not have witnessed the resurrected Christ, but I witnessed salvation my faith in him and the word of God, and I can now serve as a witness to go out and let others know. And you know, for those of you who just refuse to be soul winners, let me just say it as plainly as I can, you're selfish. I don't understand this idea how somebody would say, well, I was a sinner on my way to hell, and somebody gave me a free gift. They told me that I could be saved. They told me that Jesus loved me. They told me that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I received that through faith. Now I'm saved, but I'm not going to tell anybody else. Let them all die and go to hell. I don't know what other word you can use but selfish. See, the plan is that repentance and remissions should be preached to all nations. And the personnel is you and me. He's called us to do it. We see the plan. We see the workers, the personnel. I want you to notice, lastly, the power. Look at Luke 24, 49. And behold, that's why he had to leave, right? I send the promised 
of my father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, he's referring to the day of Pentecost, until ye be endued with power from on high. Notice how that matches Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. See, the truth is that he's given us a plan. The beautiful thing about the ascension is that it marks two things for us. When he left and he was caught up in the clouds and we are waiting for when he returns and he comes back in the clouds. And the point is this. What are we to do between those markers? What are we to do between those points? Well, I just want to show it to you real quickly and we're going to finish up. Acts 1, look at verse 11. Which also said, remember they saw Jesus ascending up to heaven, right? He said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost will come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Verse 9, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received them out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up. Behold, and behold, excuse me, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, I want you to get the picture. I I want you to understand it. Jesus was talking to them. He led them out. He lifted up his hands. He blessed them. And then he says to them, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. Literally, the last words that we have of Christ penned down on earth. I'm not saying they're the only, they were the last words that he said to them, but they're the last words that we have accounted for. And let me tell you something. His last words need to become our first priority. He says, Go out into Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the most part of the earth. And then when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received them out of their sight. Get the picture. Jesus ascends up. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven. I mean, isn't this what you'd be doing? We'd be just looking. He's taken up in a cloud, and they're just staring. They're just trying to still see him. Maybe they're just seeing a little bit of him. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men uh, stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye get men of Galilee. Don't miss the question. Look at it. The gentle rebuke from the angels. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? I say, why are you standing there? This Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner, as you have seen him go into heaven. This is their way of saying, he just told you what to do. Why, 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 why are you standing there? Why stand you up, gazing into heaven? They're literally looking up to heaven, trying to like still make an image. And the question that is asked is, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? He's told you what to do. Just go do it. And, you know, this is a question that I want to ask the average Christian. The average Christian who likes to talk about the, the hope that we have and the blessed hope, and maybe Jesus will come back today. I want to ask you the question, why are you just gazing up into heaven? He's already told you what to do. 
He's already told us what to do. He's given us a plan. He has the personnel. He's given us the power. Our job is to make it our priority. Amen. To get it done. So we see the transition. We see the ascension. But we see the commission. Because he left in a cloud, and he's coming back in a cloud. And between those two markers, we are to go out and spread the good news. Go back to Luke 24 real quickly. I just want to read these verses, and we'll finish up. 95 verses over a year, studying the gospel of Luke together. We're done right here. Luke 24, 50. And he, number one, led them out as far as to Bethany. He led them because they were his followers. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, then he left them. He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. And you shouldn't write this in your Bible. I mean, you can if you want to, just as a note. But we could add right at the end of verse 53 here, as a note, not as an addition to Scripture, just as a note for ourselves, to be continued. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you that you've allowed us to study this great gospel of Luke together. 95 sermons. Many weeks, many studies. Many thoughts, many applications. And Lord, I pray that you'd use the word in our hearts. That we might say like these men on the road to Emmaus, did not our hearts burn within us? as he opened up to us the scriptures. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to draw close to you and help us to make your last words our first priority. We thank you that Jesus is in heaven preparing a place and pleading our case. He's our advocate with the Father. He's our protector against the accuser. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. just want to remind you that on Sunday